as a show that's pretty uniquely American, and by that I mean the majority of us that listen live here in the States. Uh, the majority of the issues that we talk about are pretty United States-centric, and the majority of the problems that the motorcycle industry is facing are really confined to the United States or North America, I guess, maybe. Uh, and I think as a show, I don't want to forget about the rest of the world. And uh, I really I advocate for motorcycling everywhere. And I think sometimes we lose sight of just what's happening from manufacturing standpoints to riding and racing and being creative. All the stuff that the show has really uh, been about. Uh, so I don't really want to get caught up in being wholeheartedly uh, American in our perspectives. And I think on this show, we're going to branch out a little bit. We're going to talk about not getting caught up in the box, really thinking outside the box, being creative in our riding and in uh, you know the, the, the way we look at, at motorcycles and what's happening right now in the industry. Having said that, welcome to episode 92 of Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. Hold on to your skirt. Welcome to the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast, your source for motorcycles, mayhem, and misinformation. Listen, I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. Kangaroos are just leaping down the street every day. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but they're going to go on to be an asshole. You're 41 and started a race career. My skin met the asshole. But these new new ways kept my... I sound like a fat, hairy, bearded sloth. I have to stop talking shit. All right, a couple of blurbs. Whatever they do with cocaine. All right, technically all chaps are asses, right? Hey, everybody. I just wanted to mention that the co-host and I were out at the track this weekend, so you may be hearing sounds like this intermittently throughout the show. And that. And some other cool stuff like this. I gotta admit, not all those are bikes. Some of those are cars, um, and you'll hear them both. We were uh, basically in between tracks, and um, so you get a little bit of bikes and you get a little bit of cars. Uh, having said that, what did you guys do this week? Um, and let's jump right into this episode. I want to uh, thank Dylan Pulley for uh, supplying this week's word, which is... Oh, yeah. Hey, and I can't wait for uh, co-host Chris to come back and try out his new mic. Got some new, a little bit of new studio equipment so we can both run here at the same time on the old software. Uh, Yeah, let's get into the the pros and cons of this whole last week. Uh, There's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Plus, we got some special guests on this uh, episode. Pardon me. So let's get into it. Let's hear some cool sounds first from the track. Right. 
First things first, everybody, listen up. Um, I know we were talking about Harvey, and and, uh, I think last week we talked a little bit about Irma and all the great stuff that's been going on with that. Hey, we want to uh, say... All of our thoughts and prayers are going out to people continuing. I mean, Harvey has already been like three weeks ago. Irma was last week. Um, if you listen to the Cafe Racer podcast, you can hear uh, uh, Steve's account of what happened. He's uh, part of the like emergency operations um, for his county. And uh, so you can hear all about that. Kind of went through, tore up a bunch of stuff. I have a friend that like travels a lot and uh, one of the islands that she goes to in the Bahamas totally wiped out. Um, yeah, it's pretty awful. On top of that, we have uh, another tropical storm. I think it's Maria that's already done some damage and a huge earthquake in Mexico. If there's one thing I can be sympathetic to, it is earthquakes. They are scary and in other countries like Mexico, which isn't really like, I mean, it's rural, but so is the United States, you know, like we always joke about when tornadoes go through rural places and pick up every trailer and, and, uh, you know, just tear up a town cause it's like 90% trailers and small homes and stuff and old, like hundred year old, uh, non-tornado proof homes. But Mexico is much the same way. Modern country. Uh, if you've never been down there, very modern cities and things like that mixed with some really old, old Spanish settlements, um, and old Mayan ruins and stuff. So, I mean, the North American continent is, you know, timeless, right? And the people that have lived on it forever, um, just keep getting piled on by newer, newer generations of people. And so you have this, uh, totally weird, like mix of old buildings and new buildings. And here in California, we retrofit all of our stuff for earthquakes. We got some old, uh, pre like 32, I think is when they, you had to start making earthquake proof stuff. Um, and then like in the forties, again, there was that earthquake that tore up Alaska. It was the sixties. So they were, there was another round of, uh, you know, measures and stuff. And now everything, I mean, with the Northridge one back in 93, uh, I think it was 94. Uh, some pretty devastating earthquakes here, um, just in California. Now you go to like South America and man, they have had some terrible, terrible ones. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, it's a modern country, but with old settlements too. And so old part, old and like rural parts of the country. And uh, a lot of the stuff isn't up to snuff. Um, as far as like codes and stuff that we would consider, you know, like in places like California. So heavy, heavy damage, man. 7.1. That's a massive, massive earthquake. The ones that tore up Northridge in the nineties were only like, uh, I want to say like in the sixes or something like that. And so seven is a pretty massive, uh, earthquake. So along with all the flooding and the tropical storms and everyone getting tore up, uh, our hearts go out to everybody in Mexico right now and, uh, all the search and rescue that's going on there. And man, I just, you know, Mexico is hit with a huge earthquake back in the 80s um, that I forget how many thousands of people died there. It's just a terrible thing, but it's what's happening right now. On the topic of Harvey and Irma and Maria and all these crazy uh, storms and hurricanes that have been hitting us, I wanted to talk a little bit about flooded bikes. Um, I just listened to an episode of uh, Car Stuff, which is a pretty cool podcast, really car-centric, very few motorcycle episodes on there, but they just did 
uh, an episode on hurricane cars and flood cars. And it's a pretty ap- apropos, uh, you know, coming out talking about, uh, they kind of focused on Texas since that's where Harvey was. And you'd be surprised. I think they said that there are 15, around 15% of Texans in the like 125 coastal counties that were hit uh, don't have insurance. And I think, I don't know, I'm not sure if that's a Texas wide um, statistic there or if that was specifically to the, uh, the the Gulf part of Texas. But 15%, I think, you know, that's a, that's a huge number of uninsured uh, drivers and uninsured vehicles rather. And I think they were they, they threw out this crazy number like two hundred and seventy one thousand some odd cars um, that are flood damaged, not insured that get have zero. Uh, what's it called? Like a um, like if your car is insured, everything that happens to that VIN number gets tagged and put with it. And so if it wasn't insured, all this crazy flood damage and possible flood restoration doesn't get marked and attached to that VIN. Since it wasn't insured, it was never appraised by an insurance company, and there's no disclosure there. And so it was a really, really interesting article. Uh, having worked at a shop before, I've dealt with cars that were in water, you know, not necessarily flooded, but uh, had driven into the canal out in the desert, um, and some other people that had rolled or gone into a lake. There's all sorts of people that just drive like idiots. And yeah, that stuff does not... Uh, basically, I don't know. It's really hard. It does. It, water messes with cars in a bad way. Now, if you have a bike, it's the same sort of thing. Um, what you want to what you want to look out for is the type of bike. I mean, dirt bikes. They're kind of made to get muddy and dirty, but they're still susceptible to like water submersion. It's never good for an engine to go like underwater, breathe in water, get water in the cylinders, uh, and all over that stuff. You, it's not going to ruin it 100% if you get it out right away. But I mean, these could be bikes that are underwater for days. Plus, if it's in your garage and the water rose up and it didn't rise all the way up to like the carbs or the throttle bodies or the air cleaner, that's cool. Um, and it, depending on how long it sat and what type of water, because if it was salt water, like salt water eats everything. Uh, and Hurricane Sandy had ruined a bunch of stuff. I just read an article about uh, Hurricane Sandy ruining the uh, like 9-11 tribute bike that they made. And when that hit, like all the salt water ate a lot of the chrome off. They had to do like extensive restoration to that bike. And I don't, I'm not even 100% sure if it was like submerged or, or what happened to it. Um, but you got to figure moving water way easier. I mean, it only takes water moving at like four miles an hour to lift up a car or a building. Uh, wind has to be going like a hundred something to start messing with buildings and cars and stuff like that. So, uh, it doesn't have to take a very fast, uh, speed to move a bike, knock a bike over, drag a bike. Uh, and then you're talking about water getting into everything, water in the fuel, water in the, uh, the engine, um, cosmetic damage. Uh, and if it was salt water, it just immediately starts eating. Like salt water is super corrosive. Hell, the salt, I talked about it in Hawaii. And I'm sure if you live near a coastal town with the sea breeze um, or on an island, lots of corrosion just because of the salt floating around in the air and the humidity in the air. Um, and if you live up north, you know that 
you know, the salt on the roads and stuff, super corrosive. So if your bike gets submerged in like a storm water, like if you're on the coast and it's like water swept in, swept in or floodwaters that are rising, um, brackish water, I think is what they call like the mix. Like if the rivers rise up cause of a storm surge and, uh, it starts to, you know, pull some salt water in with that, um, you know, kind of mix with fresh water. It's not so bad, but I mean, even fresh water, you don't want to get water in your shit. You know what I mean? Like it ruins it. Um, but salt water for sure starts eating chrome, starts eating, uh, away any little like metal, certain types of metal too are super, super susceptible. If you have an old vintage bike, uh, hell salt water, salt is like this crazy, um, like kind of acts like an acid when it gets on it and it will just start eating away the the material depending on what it is now i mean i'm just not not like every single type of metal but some are super susceptible to any sort of like even bleach you know what i mean like bleach will eat certain sorts of metals salt water um calciums are just bad so yeah if you are they mentioned on that show that a lot of the cars that get uh, totaled out or get salvaged for flood that try to get restored often end up moving south um, to the southern states or north to the northern states. Some of them get revinned, um, not just like retitled and replated. They actually like get, move a vin, which is like a shysty thing. I mean, that's not, I don't think that's legal, but people do it all the time. A lot of auction houses that deal with that stuff and a lot of salvage yards. Um, you can sell them for parts and all that great stuff, and that's that's good and fine, but. I guess a lot of people do try to take advantage and uh, sell the whole thing. So when you're looking at bikes, make sure you're the same thing. And this won't be now. This will be in a couple months from now when people are getting them back. They're getting the salvage money for them or they're getting the title back for them um, or whatever. You might see certain uh, like a lot of bikes flood the market from and they might not even say from Texas, but they might. You know, they might be from Texas or Florida and they're saying, um, you know, here's some parts, blah, blah, blah. The good the good thing is, is that we might see a lot of uh, takeoffs and stuff like that. We might see a lot of um, parts that were like wheels and stuff like that, where you just change the bearings or something and, and stuff's good. And it was fresh water, not flood water, because I know over Texas, a lot of it was rain. You know, the rain swell up the river, so you're not really worrying about salt water at that point, um, but still, you know, damage nonetheless. Um, I was going to say, uh, you know, just water in your engine period is really bad just because like all of a sudden there's, you know, these untreated surfaces that are going to have, you know, water and they're going to get rusty and that stuff doesn't just burn off. So, uh, yeah, you're going to have to check everything top to bottom you know, head to head to tail, uh, on any bikes. And if you get, if you do get salvage parts, check them, man. If there's like all of a sudden a bunch of stuff on eBay and like the deals are too good to be true, or they say from Texas or Florida where they're shipping from, uh, then yeah, be careful. And, uh, just make sure you're double checking. And if you're buying a whole bike, make sure you, if it comes from there, you're, you're asking questions and running through the whole deal. And, like I said, dirt bikes, we take them through water all the time and we take them, you know, through mud and all this and that. And they're meant to be tortured, uh, but they're still susceptible and they're not submerged for a long time. So a uh, good point. Good thing they made 
uh, point they made on the show, the car stuff show, was that you never know when it comes to electrical components if it wasn't submerged all the way up to the wiring harness and the electrics. Um, if it was, like, it, chances are it grounded out and shorted something or, like, ruined something. Uh, and even if it didn't, even if it went on, like, a O2 sensor or something like that, you never know when that thing's going to break now. And you never know what what stresses or you know, sort of malfunctions that thing was exposed to now that it's been submerged in water. So yeah, man, some secondary things coming out of the loss already, the loss of life, the loss of property, and possibly the loss of, you know, your your precious motorcycle. But now if you do get it back and you do try to salvage it, uh, just be careful. And if you're going to sell it, make sure you tell people, don't be that jerk that's like selling a a totally skunked and roached bike as, as uh, my co-host would say uh, alright let's move on to our next subject hey real quick before we jump in here uh, I did want to say if you are buying a what's it called a salvage bike or something from flood areas make sure you don't get bamboozled yeah I had to drop that uh, <laughs> couldn't go without saying that word at least one time on the show. Come on. Bamboozled is definitely how the Harley Davidson, uh, company felt or the employees thereof. I just read an article in the Milwaukee business journal from, uh, I believe it was last week. It was from the, the 12th. So yeah, last week they were talking about the unions deciding to end their partnership with Harley Davidson. I guess it's like a, like a 20 year partnership that they've had. And it was the, uh, international association of machinists and aerospace workers and the United steel workers. Uh, they came together with the Harley CEO, Matt Levitich talking about the unfair trade. Part of it being, um, they were saying if that, I quote the article, it's become apparent to me for the last seven years that Harley Davidson has been and continues to systematically dismantle its hourly workforce through various means, end quote. Um, and they're talking about the fact that Harley Davidson is, uh, you know, first thing is using um, part-time workers instead of uh, full-time union workers. Uh, they're also building plants in India Brazil and Harley and Harley Davidson and Thailand. And actually they've had plants in Brazil and India. I think the, the plant in Thailand is what they're talking about. And they're talking about, uh, that's part of the seven years. I think they're talking about there, um, is, is that they've, they've just been seeing things moving in a way that they probably don't want them to see in it for, for the last seven years. We've been talking about it on the show, the slow decline of Harley Davidson. And we've kind of like been bagging on them, but also like kind of sadly watching them. Uh, I wouldn't say crumble. Okay. They've been slowing down. They've been cutting lots of jobs. They've been posting less than stellar sales year after year, quarter after quarter, which is sad. Um, but you know, the, the unions are really, their big thing is that they, they want to see, you know, better deals with, uh, staffing related to hourly employees. They want to see, um, you know, they don't want to see manufacturing leave and they don't want to see jobs leave America. But here's the deal. I just listened to uh, a TED talk on free trade and uh, trade protectionism. It was very interesting. It's really short. I think it's only like 15 minutes long. It was excellent. And uh, 
I also read this awesome article in Cycle News regarding Triumph, and Triumph's been in Thailand now uh, since 2002. And hardly moving over there, you know, in a way, good for them. And I'll tell you why. And uh, partially because... You know, we, we've talked about it before. It was a big deal this year. Um, Matt Levitich talked with President Trump uh, during, the, you know, hoping about the Trans-Pacific Partnership would bring about some new form of trade. Trump said, hey, it's very unfair that people do these tariffs. Then we put tariffs on people. You know what I mean? It's a total little BS. But what Harley's trying to do is expand into a marketplace that actually is growing. Um, what's happening is that in the United States, I feel like the Harley-Davidson product has matured. They've been around for over, you know, 100, 110 years. You know, they're they're going on 115, right? Something like that. And so basically, when you're pro- what do you do when you're at the top? You can really only go down. And your product, I mean, there's not much different and until Harley Davidson invents like a computer or an iPhone or something like that there's not much they can do they've they've had the same motorcycles the same uh people that they've been marketing to for the last 20 years they're trying to change that up and shift directions it's going to take a while for that to catch on it might take another 20 years for their current range of bikes to catch on with the younger crowd motorcycling in general is kind of taking a hit right now i think automotive stuff in general is taking a hit we're at the precipice of a new uh era right now this all these new technologies that are coming on that we've been talking about for the last two years and automation and and all this new stuff that the the future the horizon we're at it right now and it's a little bit hard to see and as i mentioned at the beginning of the show this is all an american problem right Harley Davidson moving to Thailand is only a problem for these American unions. Harley Davidson moving to Thailand is not a problem for Thai workers and actually for Americans if we want to keep the cost of Harley Davidson affordable. Now, this our, the TED Talk that I listened to on free trade and protectionism uh, talked about North Korea and Cuba. We don't think about those countries when we think about um, you know, free trade and like awesome economies. And it's because those guys went into protectionist mode a long time ago and isol- just basically isolated themselves. And like I said, I took some business courses a long time ago and I forget the exact terminology or who said it, but they reference it in the TED Talk that you should build to your strengths and Basically, what your resources are available to you, you should either export those to company countries that don't have those resources, or you should focus your uh, building on those resources. And fortunately, Thailand has a lot of good resources, and uh, there one of those resources being humans with money that can afford your product and that have a growing middle class. We all know that Harley-Davidson has a factory in India. We all know that the Indian tariffs were huge. And we all know that Harley-Davidson might be changing production in order to offset those tariffs and get a foot into that market. The Asian market is huge right now. And when you have people in the United States, if everybody in the United States owned a Harley-Davidson theoretically, who the hell would you sell to? At that point, I mean, it's the same problem that you're going to have, you know, regardless of your sales numbers. Once a market is saturated and matured, you have to look for other markets. So the Thai thing uh, is really interesting. And to go over to uh, the Cycle News article and look at the the inroads that Triumph has made in the over, like they've almost been there now for, I don't know, 15 years in, in uh, Thailand. 
And I was listening to Front End Chatter a while back talking about Triumph making like 90% uh, profits, 90% increase in profits due not from their sales, but due to moving to Thailand. And so here's the deal. They have manufactured, I don't know, over 53,000 bikes uh, last year and 85.3% of those, it says, found homes outside the UK. So they're selling to like 40 other countries where they sell their products. Um, and a very small percentage, like 15% are, are staying in the UK, 85% going elsewhere. 80% of those motorcycles sold of that 50,000, uh, 53,000 some odd motorcycles made in Thailand in, in their countries. Now they have five factories in Thailand. I think one of them is just a foundry. Um, and if you go to the Cycle News article, they talk about all of the all of the millions and millions of dollars and in investments that they've put into their Thai factories. People in uh, the UK have the same fears that people here in America have, which is, well, my national brand is leaving my country. And also the unions, what's going to happen? Workers, what's going to happen? And they went from like 400-something employees in the UK. I mean, they were down to 400. Um, They're up to 600 now. And so people were afraid of being you know, cut due to redundancy. They're afraid of being replaced by uh, another person or a machine. And what happened was exactly the opposite because now you have more opportunities for research and development and marketing and stuff happening there in the UK. You've moved all of your manufacturing and all of your other stuff, not all of it, but a lot of it to another country. Um, Another thing to consider is that uh, F, CC clutches, I believe, is who Triumph uses in all their stuff. And instead of going to, uh, you know, basically going down to another country like India and saying, hey, we need to import some clutches from one of your cheesy factories. Hey, FCC clutches, they're right down the street. They have a factory in Thailand. Um, Kayaba and Olin suspensions, they have factories right down the street from Triumph in Thailand. NOK bearings, um, BASF, who makes uh, a lot of uh, components, they're kind of like Dow or like 3M or something like that, where they make a lot of um, a lot of different stuff. They make the catalysts that go into the uh catalytic converters in the motorcycles and so they're right down the street and so there you can do a lot of r&d without having to ship your products to another country ship it back you know test it and this and that they're right down the street so not only are you benefiting from having you know somewhat cheaper labor that's not the only reason to go to another country uh you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're doing it to, it does keep the cost down, which is good, but you're also getting into a market like, uh, Thailand does business with India. They do India, uh, business with China, Indonesia, Vietnam, Vietnam, if you didn't know, has like one of the largest growing, uh, billionaire segments in the world. Um, so basically it's just this country that has a crazy Asian country with a lot of, um, a lot of manufacturing and a lot of a lot of business over there, and there's just like billionaires off the wall. So uh, there's this huge middle class opening up in all these other countries that you now you know 
go back to our theoretical, everybody in the UK owns a Triumph and let's apply this to Harley. Everybody in the US technically or theoretically owns a Harley. Where do you go then? Like, where do you sell your stuff? If you're not selling them a second and third bike, you go to a new country that has this huge middle class opening up and in the huge uh, available resources, you know, that, that are coming online and not only resources uh, to buy your product, but resources to make it. So this, the, all these articles meshing up um, and then reading that the unions are upset with Harley for wanting to move to Thailand. I can tell you, just from reading this article about Triumph, as long as 40% of the materials are from Thailand, they avoid all the tariffs. They're in a, a tariff-free zone so they can import and export and do business with any of the countries that Thailand does business with without paying import taxes and stuff like that, which is another huge... I mean. If you're going to move to another country and, you know, take jobs from your country with it, it's not worth it to move over there if, if you then have to pay all these other uh, fees and stuff that you really don't think about, right? Um, so you move over there and not only do you not have to pay those, but now you're in this like crazy trade partnership with other countries. So, and if you go and read this article at Cycle News, what they've said is that the fact that there's more availability of, uh, you know, more reasonable cost employees and stuff, they've been shipping stuff back to England. Some of the stuff from England gets made there and shipped to Indonesia or to Thailand. They are totally dependent on one another. They are not, um, they didn't take a bunch of jobs out of the UK. They're actually kind of like made, made it better. Not only that, but having that workforce over there and having more people working, um, has made it, uh, their QA way better. You have more people looking at stuff and more available resources to look at stuff. So they were saying that some, you know, certain components are hundred percent getting looked at every single one because there's somebody to do that now. And you're not just picking like every 50th one or every 10th one off the line, looking at it, at, you know, checking it. They were saying like every single one and they still do like every, every 10 like crankcases or something like that. I forget what the article referenced, but they still do have the one in 10. Um, but I mean, that's great. You're not doing one in 50. You know what I mean? You, you have these resources there. They've buttoned down their QA. Um, there's way more stuff they took. They're importing over there. Their foundry is all from like German uh, tooling. And it's sort of the same thing that BMW had to do, had to explain to their uh, loyal customers and everybody when they moved to India and say, hey, man, we're building a German factory in India. We're taking our German trainers and we're training these Indian people to work like Germans in our factory. It's kind of like taking your cell phone, your computer or hell, even a pair of pants. They work in your country. You can still put on your pants in whatever country you're in. You're going to be able to put them on in whatever country you go to. They don't change automatically just because you're in another country. They don't fall apart because you're wearing them in China or they don't fall apart and get made of crummy, you know, resource uh, material because you wear them in India. Uh, your pants are your pants no matter where you wear them. And so that's part of the deal that Triumph is making with um, their Thailand factories. And that's really why I think Harley is really going to do good when they move over there. Ducati's over there making scramblers for everybody, you know what I mean? And making a lot of their bikes over there, actually. A uh, large percentage of Ducati's are made in Thailand. Um, and then I forget there's another company over there that's making their bikes there. I just can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, Honda. Honda not only has their like CB 300 and 500 and probably 250 motors being made over there, but they also just opened uh, a crazy huge testing facility in Thailand. And so a lot of stuff is moving over there. 
and it's opening, um, basically opening you into this new market and it's keeping you free of import tariffs. And for the most part, like I remember watching a thing, uh, a, a documentary on people in Michigan. It was probably some Michael Moore one or something like that, or, or I don't know, this American life or something like that, that I, that I listened to years ago about people getting resources from the big three manufacturers in Detroit saying, Hey, we're going to give you 30,000 bucks. You need to go back to school or this is for you to go back to school and retool yourself um, and, and get some skills. Cause we're going to be changing, you know, our industry is going to be changing and they didn't, they bought houses, they bought, cars they you know bought boats whatever they did with the money when the industry changed they were out of out of a job you know what i mean they didn't reinvest in themselves and so what these companies are doing they're taking the manufacturing away but these employees know it's coming and these employees now have a chance to um remarket themselves or reinvest in themselves or hell you know start up something else where you learn to do a different uh, trade and you, you know, you're more likely to get outsourced by artificial intelligence or a machine than you are another person. So the thing is, is make yourself necessary, you know, learn, learn what you're going to have to do. Don't just, uh, you know, think that your job is going to be there forever and that outsourcing it is some Thai person's fault. You know, it's more likely going to be a computer's fault or a machine's fault or artificial intelligence in in a lot of cases coming up. So we saw it in the Industrial Revolution. People were put out of work and they thought it was going to be the end of humanity uh, because all these machines started doing stuff now. But as we've seen, it just creates more opportunities for people to do other things. So... Having uh, go, going back to the beginning of the show and, and uh, mentioning that, you know, a lot of the perspectives that we have on the show are, are American and a lot of the problems that we talk about, the doom and gloom of the whole motorcycle market. That's all just an American perspective, because in the other half of the world right now, the motorcycle market is just opening up. A lot of companies are already over there. One of ours going over there isn't such a big deal, and it may, in fact, make things more cost-effective for us here at home, and it may create a longer supply chain, uh, a lot more jobs on that chain, and uh, might help Harley be able to focus their um, their profits and their revenues here on marketing and you know stuff, more viable stuff here, marketing, research, development, quality, QA, stuff like Triumph has done to make their brand even better and have less problems. And so think about that as we're thinking about outside the box on this episode. Now, let's think outside the box in another way. Racing. I felt like if I didn't put bamboozled in there one more time, it just wouldn't make it in there enough, this show. Uh, So, hey, this weekend, the co-host and I were out at Willow Springs Raceway. He took his Dinah and his Buell out there (laughs) to uh, shred up on the streets of Willow, which is a small track, but still a pretty large track. Um, You know, Chris is a hooligan racer, and what's more hooligan than taking a gigantic Harley out and uh, road racing it. And in our 
in our you know topic of keeping it uh, specifically American, you know, American problems and American uh, perspectives, I think the sport bike is a uniquely American perspective. We think that you have to have a sport bike to go out and carve canyons. You have to have a sport bike to go out and do track days. Why can't you do it on a big old cruiser? Well, because cruisers are for cruising, right? And who buys cruisers? Old men, right? That want to ride their stuff down to the uh, the Harley dealership or the bar and uh, get loaded or buy more accessories. So we had the opportunity at out at Willow Springs to sit down with a few guys that uh, are not old men driving down to Starbucks and have been hucking their Harley Davidsons around the tracks and in fact carving the canyons like Mulholland or Ortega Highway now for the past few years. Uh, in this interview, we're going to talk to a few characters, and they are characters, and they're awesome. And uh, the first one that you're going to hear, we'll introduce them in, in the order they appear. There's Eric. The fucking rednecks, they were they took they were doing circle track, right? And then they tied boats to the back of their cars oh, yeah. and raced around with boats. <laughs> and then and then they fucking took the back wheels off the top. Tires off yeah. the car and put skids underneath them, yeah. bitches. They do that by my house. That is some redneck fucking shit right there, dude. I ain't never seen no stuff like that. And I lived in Texas for a couple of years. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Eric, Eric's a funny guy. He also was coming off a horrendous injury, which I don't think he talked about, but we'll cover later if he doesn't get too far into it. And then there's Zach. Zach the sauerkraut guy. You live in Fredericksburg? Yeah. That's that's a small hick town. Oh, that's redneck. It, yeah. it was a German settlement at one time. Where they had, yeah. So they had like a German festival of sauerkraut. Yeah. So Zach is the guy that had just started riding with them. I think he uh, he's the third guy that they've picked up since they started doing track days and whatnot. And then there was Tony. You getting ready to go back out? Yeah. All right. Tony's basically the uh, instigator and the starter of this whole crazy trip that we were about to take. And then there was Hugh. What's up, buddy? You going back out again? Yeah, you heard that right. Hugh. Hugh, the guy with the British accent. The guy that didn't want to be interviewed. I had a feeling about Hugh, a sneaky suspicion, that he was kind of the guy the secret guy behind all of this. He said, no, he was just in, you know, in like the marketing and video and all that stuff department. But Hugh didn't want to be interviewed for some reason. Later, Hugh would basically uh, drive Eric and I around the track, uh, taking us to vantage point after vantage point that he had scoped out. And we got some really good pics and really good view of the racing. And then... He took us to the Oval. And if you don't know, Willow Springs has a, uh, a dirt track where they do the Eddie Mulder Classic and a bunch of other stuff. There's actually going to be a race there this weekend. Um, and, he, and there's a paved oval inside that, a small one, a little tiny little infield. He took us for a ride around that oval. And uh, Eric about lost his shit. And I was in the back of the Mini uh, with the little the Mini Cooper S with the uh, seats folded down. And he said, you want me to fold the seats up? And I thought he was just going to give me a ride back to our tent. And I said, no, it's cool. I didn't know he was going to uh, give us a couple hot laps. 
So thank you, Hugh. We're going to find out about you if it's the last thing we do. Hey, I'm a poet. All right, well, let's let's get into this. Let's take a crazy ride through the canyons, through the tracks with the Dyna crew. Do you own 27 cycles? Yeah, okay. yeah me and my brother. So, yeah. hey, we're here with Tony, owner of 27 yes, cycles. Sir. He's, he's about headed out the track, so we're not going to get much uh, talk time with him. But you guys are out here doing stuff on Dinah's. Harley Davidson's first off, Dinah's second off. What is that all about? That's just about what we do, bro. It's about uh, we're, we love riding these motorcycles, and it's just this is just the next level. It's, it's the safest place to be. We can go as fast as we want. It's a, you get a no ship moment and you go oh dirt bike time you know that's it you <laughs> yeah. know sometimes you go down so, but it's yeah it's it's just about having fun on our bikes you know, yeah you know? which is cool because a lot of the sport bike guys I feel like they feel like they have to you get a sport bike you can't oh, not I, I gotta do I gotta prove something and you guys are like out there the reason I like it is because it's not conventional I love non-conventional stuff yeah and seeing you guys out there just ripping and actually passing sport bikes and stuff uh, yeah. Left and right is just pretty rad. Oh yeah, bro. It's, you know, I spent a lot of times in the canyons, bro, and it's just you don't even get to have as much fun. And I pass sport bikes in the canyons, but you know what? Like coming out here, it, it changes the whole thing. We're still passing sport bikes, but I mean, it's it's I, I love it because it's not like look at it. It's not it's not even a bike that you would think could do this kind of shit. Yeah. You know? It so, looks. I mean, it doesn't look totally stock, but it, compared uh, to some of the bikes out there, yeah. I mean, this is pretty rad to just throw. Yeah. Us, Nice set of tires. You guys got some like aftermarket like crash protection. Yeah, going I, got a, on. I got a buddy that makes these things. Uh, he hand makes them and shit. We're, we're trying to get them into production, but you know it's. Uh, you want to plug? We're just we're just making more and more parts, and uh, you know we 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 made our shri- uh Yeah, it's a RSF uh, RS fabrication. It's our buddy Ryan, and uh, he does great stuff. He he. Uh, he helped. He helped us with our design on our shred pegs that uh, lifts your feet up off the ground and gives you a little bit more clearance. You know, you go faster yeah. in the corner. That's that's all we're trying to do. We're trying to make shit or do stuff to the bikes and and make it uh, make it dope, make it go faster around the track. You yeah. Know, we got a. We're we're in the middle of making a uh, oil pressure gauge that goes on your handlebar mount, so you can see that shit. You know. You know, we're just trying to make more parts that help with the racetrack. Yeah. You know? so. Yeah. What do you guys do down there at 27 Cycles? Uh, we work on bikes, you know, but uh, you know, we service them sometimes. But we pretty much try to build bikes like this and try to build, try to build bikes that uh, that, that can perform. Yeah. And people are like, oh shit, that's a Harley. Yeah. You know. Not a not an old man cruising down no. to the coffee shop or some lawyer. You guys are out here shredding, and yeah. uh, I'll let you get out on track because I know yeah. you're, you're heading out. But I gotta say, this is rad, and uh, I'll take some pics when you guys get back, and we can yeah, bro, document we'll talk, all we'll this. talk some more, bro, yeah. for sure. I'm gonna go out there and shred, dude. All right, and shred he did. Tony is one fast dude. I will make sure that I link to their YouTube videos of them shredding different tracks around California. That was my problem. All right, and we're out here with Tony's buddy, uh, Eric. And where, Eric, where do you work? Work? I uh, work at Jiffy Tune Dino. What do you do there at Jiffy Tune Dino? I dyno motorcycles, make them faster, <laughs> sell cheap horsepower, put a smile on grown men's face. And then on the weekends, what have you been up to? I come out here to the racetrack with Tony. 
Button Willow, Willow Springs, Chuckawalla, and beat up on sport bikes and start serving humble pie. Rad. And the whole reason I actually, uh, I saw you guys on Instagram, but our co-host Chris Wiggins, who's also out here today ripping around, was like, hey dude, those guys are gonna be at Willow, let, you know, I'm gonna go. And then he called me up last night and said, you wanna go? And I said, I'm in, dude. Because I wanted to see, well, let's get some uh, rad sound effects there in the background. I was like, you know, I like unconventional stuff. I like seeing people do stuff that you're not supposed to on bikes that you're not supposed to. Exactly. And you guys definitely have been ripping around. So dude, you'd be surprised. It's funny, we come in here in the mornings and we sign up. And all these guys, they throw a funny smirk at us, like, oh yeah, sure guys. And then when we go out there and smash on them and beat oh, yeah. up on them, dude, all we do is get smiles, thumbs up, and hang <laughs> looses, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, and that's it's pretty cool to see people's faces and when we slide knee around a corner on a bike that's considered to be a cruiser. Yeah, yeah, I was just <laughs> telling Tony, it's not an old man heading down to Starbucks. Not today, man. No, and you know, the thing is, is all these kids right now, they're all doing this wheelie scene and stuff. They're putting all the same parts that we're running here. So they all have the same capabilities that we do to be out here tearing this shit up. They just got to buy a little bit of a monkey suit and get out here and give it a go. Yeah. And I tell you what, you could probably breed some pretty good racers out of these things. Yeah. And make a pretty cool circuit. Right on. And yeah, like it's like, okay, let me describe to you since uh, you're listeners and you can't see what I'm seeing. Hey, it's like a Dyna that's, there's nothing crazy special. There's no crazy fairing. You know, there's no nothing special that you need to it's do. It's basically lifted rear shocks like everyone puts on a set of Olins or a set of, you know, works. Um, Hagen's, your standard shocks, pipe, air cleaner, two over front end, and a pair of balls. <laughs> uh, what are the what size balls do you need to install in order to huck one of these around a track? As much as you want to give, man. You know, you don't got to come out here and try to hang off of it if you don't want to. You come out here and just improve on your skills, improve on your street skills, make it better for you as a rider, just to be aware of what's available. Yeah, you know? and and actually. I did notice in the pits that some uh, a lady came over to compliment you. I think she was just as excited to see you out there passing her as, uh, as you guys were to be doing it. Yeah. No, man, it's pretty rad because when we get to go out there and we show some of these guys and they hear these big burly bikes come up on them and it sort of rattles their cage a little bit and then all of a sudden you fly by them. They, you know, they come up afterwards and they think we're some pro super bike riders and we're like, no, nah, we never even ridden one of those in our life. Yeah. No, I mean, we've not really been doing this a long time. We're pretty new at it ourselves. Rad. And, you know, I was talking to Chris, he's into flat track and he's been into Speedway forever and he's always talking about people bringing Dinas or, and uh, Sportsters out to the hooligan events. So it's rad. That's kind of a growing thing, but it's rad to see this happening too. How long you guys been doing this World Track Days, but how long you guys been carving in the corners and all that stuff? Dude, we've been riding canyons for years, but out here in Track Days, just this last year, <laughs> and we're out here just cutting rugs, man. I mean, we're tearing it up. We're tearing up pavement, you know? Yeah. We're scraping pipe. We're designing different products to make these things faster around corners, get better lean angles, you know? And it's just a lot of fun in a safe environment. Right. And being on a Harley-Davidson, you guys take it really easy. You never get hurt, right? I don't know about that, dude. We all eat shit once in a while. It just depends if you push yourself that hard. Yeah. Yeah, you were talking earlier. You you recently busted your collarbone, yeah? Yeah, over there in Button Willow. Um, just before uh, I-5, it 
got me good, but shit happens, you know. Right. And then three weeks later, we're out here sliding around corners again. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I had that same crash in a canyon or on a freeway, I'd be 100% dead right now. I wouldn't yeah. be talking to you. Right, that's true. A lot of people don't think about that. It's kind of cool to see you guys taking it to the next level. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty awesome just to see you guys come out here doing it on a on a dyna and i you know it's not it's not as surprising to me just because i see people do wacky shit on bikes all the time but i think it's surprising to like the 99 percent of sport bikes that we have the one percent dudes out here on you know passing them i wouldn't say one percent i would say more like ten percent you know that's a strong number in this industry but i think we're out here just having a great time being motorcycle enthusiasts, ripping around the track, tearing people up. Yeah, and, and you guys have been. It's been pretty rad watching you pass sport bikes and, and uh, yeah, just eat them up. It's pretty rad. So. Right on, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thank it's you. It's always great. And if people want to come check you out or check out Jiffy Tune, where are you guys located? Go to uh, Instagram and look up Jiffy Tune Dino. We're on there. Check it out. There's always pictures. We post the track days that we're going to go to. Um, it's always available. All right, man. Well, uh, I'll send people your way if they want to get into, you know, if they want to try and take a dyna out on the track or if they just want to get something sweet done. We, we had a little bit of conversations earlier. We're not going to let any of the crazy secrets go because those are uh, crazy tuning secrets. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, no, it, it's awesome. You're obviously super knowledgeable in tuning and in riding, so it'll be pretty rad to see if people stop out and check you out to see what they can come away with. And we're always here to help, man. If you guys want hit us up and we'll we'll get you on the track with us and we'll ride down a group or two just to get you confident and get you tearing up on people yeah and then once you do that you just move it on up and have a hell of a time right and everybody i think is like put off by the harleys like oh the biker dudes biker but dude you guys are just out here ripping it up less of a posse i would say than some of the sport bikes are and you're like you guys are like way more friendly you know what i mean so it's 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 interesting kind of what I think people perceive as Harley dudes and then you come out here and they're like oh they're like you I think you guys have changed some of the minds of the people racing out here you know not just uh Harley guys you know and I I, I hope so man you know because we're just motorcycle enthusiasts like the rest of them we just want to go fast and kick ass <laughs> right, right on hey thanks for yapping with us and uh we'll check you later and he was absolutely right. Uh, a lot of the guys came up. So many people came and talked to them. Uh, they were just, they were excited to see a different bike. I mean, you've seen a thousand R1s out there. You've seen a thousand SV650s, Ninjas, KTMs, you know, all the bikes that we saw out there. Um, and then you got your like crazy Ducatis. You know, there was a bunch of Ducati. Oh, these are rare Ducatis. Well, not on a sport bike track day. So a lot of people were really stoked to see the Harleys out there, and I can't tell you how many people came up to talk to them while they were hanging out in our pit. All right, so the third guy hanging out in the pits, Chris is finally back too. Chris was out on track when we, uh, I had to walk all the way over here. It's about 17 miles uphill both ways <laughs> in the desert. But uh, Chris, Chris joined us over here. Uh, we'll talk to him about his session. But the third guy we got here in the pits on a Dyna as well is uh, Zach. Where do you work at, Zach? Where do I work at? Yeah, if you uh, want to. You don't have to. I'm a pilot. Oh. I don't work on bikes. <laughs> Rad. Dude, this guy flies uh, three feet off the ground and in the air. So, yeah, man. Uh, is this your first time out to a track? This is my first time ever at a track. So, this is day two in the weekend. 
and uh, this is the most fun I've ever had with my clothes on. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and and as for as far as like riding a Dyna, do you, have you do you car the canyons on this thing too? Uh, I do, and hit the highways, and I'm able to do on ramps and go fast and stuff. But there's a lot of limits. So yeah. And the track just opens up so many more possibilities. And being track days, it's it's a lot more about the training too, about learning how to go fast and about the cornering and the apexes and you know, yeah. what lines to form and all this stuff. And then I come back to my bike, I'm like, well, what can I improve? You know, what can I do here? And also the instructors here are pretty great too. He was, I was just talking to one, he was critiquing me and giving me a lot of pointers and like, some of these things you're doing right, some of these other things you could do better, you're doing this is wrong and um, it's great. Yeah, that's rad, and it's cool because like not a lot of guys, like we were saying, not a lot of guys on sport bikes expect Harleys to be coming. I saw you uh, ever since this morning, getting faster and faster each session. So it's obviously you got more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a learning experience. So day one, it's uh, you know the confidence is low, you're new to it, and then it, it's still fun. It's more and more and more fun. And then day two. It all starts coming together, and then next time I come, it's going to be even better. But a lot of people have these ideas or opinions of Harley's, but Harley's had a long, long history of racing. Harley started it. Yeah. It's just uh, they've had business problems over the year. It's kind of fallen off their radar. They're off their priorities and things. So. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that aside from flat track, which Harley has carried for the last 40 years. They also used to race the Daytona 200. They had those KRs, which they would do both. And yeah, so it, it, you're right. It's not like totally new, you know? Yeah, totally. The flat track Harley dominates. Your regs fly. Hang on one sec. Yeah, Harley dominates the flat track and uh, hooligan races and stuff. A lot of sporties and yeah. smaller bikes. That's cool, but flat track's cooler and then racetrack's even better, I think. Yeah. yeah, it was fun watching you guys rip around. Like everybody was doing so good, and it was just so crazy watching the lines that you guys take are way different than the lines the sport bikes are taking, and the fact that you're on Harley, see you guys passing, you know, passing groups of guys was just pretty, pretty rad. And for your first time out, I had to say you were looking pretty comfy riding this thing on the daily. Obviously, it's a daily, daily driver. Uh, what, like, did it give you more confidence? I guess after today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll, I'm going to go back to the streets and to the highways and be like, oh, this is so slow, sitting behind minivans trying to <laughs> trying to merge onto the highway on on-ramps and stuff. And uh, on-ramps is about the only place out there in Polo I can really get my knee down. And there's places on Ortega and, and some of those twisties you're able to do a little bit. But the crashing is expensive. Getting impounded is expensive. Tickets, insurance, that's expensive. So the track is... Worth, worth it, and beyond. Yeah, for a track day like today, you're right. Absolutely. If you were to, if you were to crash, a the cost to repair your bike, the ticket, the, you know, the bodily harm, whatever you happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it. This this well covers that three times over probably. Yeah, absolutely. Surgery, time and missed work and that stuff. Here, at least you put on this this heavy exoskeleton of a <laughs> of a suit, and uh, you know. Look like a Power Ranger or whatever, but hey, you know, it keeps all your bones together and stuff. If you know, if you do it. and even at one point, I did come off the track for a second. I don't think anybody noticed. Went dirt biking for a second, you know, and then I uh, got right back on the track. And the guy behind me he didn't even pass yet, so I was like, 
Yeah, back to it. Yeah, dude, that's just a little corner cutting. Yeah, you know, and riding this thing on the street every day versus like tracking it, you obviously wouldn't push it quite as hard, I don't think, on the street as you would here. So, I mean, it, it's got to just be fun, too. I mean, on top of like learning new stuff, was it just a hell of a hoot to like rip around on this thing? Oh, yeah, just, just so much fun, yeah. seriously. The most fun I've ever had on any two-wheeled machine. Yeah. Or ever, ever, with my pants on. You know, most fun ever. You got to go road racing and dirt biking today. I think that's a plus and a plus. Man, well, th- is it as fun as flying? Uh, way more adrenaline than flying. It's a different reward, for sure, but it's way more adrenaline. Yeah, not, a, not as bad crashing, I heard, as like if you crash while you're flying. Yeah, it hurts a little more. Yeah, it's a, it turns into a big fireball, and it's kind of a resume move. Or just it's more of a game over. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, hey, thanks for talking with us, man. Are you on Instagram or anything that you want to share? Uh, yeah, I am on Instagram. <laughs> if anybody cares, it's uh, Adrenaline Two Five Zero MG, two hundred fifty milligrams. Is that the perfect amount of adrenaline to? Oh, it needs to be more. <laughs> Always more. Always more. Well, hey, thank you for hanging out with, with us. And it was amazing watching you guys do this today. It was a hell of a lot of fun seeing, you know, four Dinas out there on the track today. So it was, it was fun watching you guys. Yeah, thank you for your hard work and your enthusiasm. And, and all that. Thanks for chilling with us. <laughs> no problem, man. Hey, just for reference, too. I know a couple times he said it's the most fun he's had with his clothes on. And uh, I just want to say, during the interview, he didn't technically have clothes on. So I think the interviews are pretty fun. Must be, he had a tracksuit on. Does that count as clothes? Um, all right. Well, hey, let's get uh, the next segment here and head toward the end of the show. Tony's back and he's going to talk to us a little bit about his experience and uh, 27 cycles. So, hey, man, Tony's back from his session. Uh, we are back in their luxurious pits, I have to say. I've never been in anything quite so elegant. Uh, but neither have we, bro. Neither <laughs> have we, all right? Right. This is the first time for us as well. Yeah. <laughs> So, I noticed that your primary is not all smashed up like Eric's is, yeah. but uh, you guys, <laughs> you must be taking the turds a little better. But also, we, we, we kind of covered a little bit of your, your kit earlier, but you said you guys, when did you guys get started, uh, you know, 27 cycles, or yeah. just in general, when did you start? You know, we opened up in 08 as a service shop, collision center, basic service shop, we had metric mechanics. I, I, I dig the Harleys, so that's what I do, and... Uh, you know, uh, our shop was in, uh, you know, it's right there by the famous uh, snake, you know, where they have all the videos where they crash and all that shit. Yeah. So, Mulholland, baby. Yeah, Mulholland. So we were out there in the canyons, I mean, I mean, three, four times a week at least. And we're talking about weekdays when no one's out there just smashing. Um, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to do this big event and have some Harleys come out to the racetrack, but, you know, we ended up going this route and just coming out and riding them on the track and see how it is and it's actually pretty fucking fun man it's actually really fucking fun but and starting out like when you uh, first started as a service shop i mean obviously that's pretty self-explanatory this dyna dyna started with with stock suspension and you know it's a 2001 and i had stock suspension we went out in the canyons i was like oh man scraping everything i'm scraping foot pig mount you know, so that that's where we started evolving. We started, you know, putting suspension on them, raising them up for ground clearance, and we just started going from there. We started doing shred kits, you know, race uh, race tech gold valves, uh, rear suspension, 
and you know it, it now we're building bikes like this and it's and and it's proven that they can actually perform yeah. they can go out there with bikes that do are built to perform yeah this wasn't you know exactly but. And when did you guys start doing your own hard parts? I mean, you're, uh, you, it looks like you're in development of some right now, but you already got some we, existing uh, ones. We started about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago, with our axle blocks for dynos and FXRs. Um, and uh, it's our it's our same buddy Ryan. He's our fabricator. He does anything we come up with in our head. You know, he actually came up with those, and he wanted those to be on our on our on our parts run. And uh, you know. And then we just dropped these foot pegs, we call them the shred pegs. And, uh, you know, it's funny, we actually did some jerry-rigging to get these foot pegs on this customer's dyna. We raised them up. And it's a kid that used to come ride with us out in the canyons. And I watched him instantly. It was some funky uh, something that we found that actually worked to raise the foot pegs. And, and it raised them like two or three inches. It was really, it, you know, crazy. But the dude went fuck. He went fast right off, the, right out the <laughs> gate. You know, so Instant I saw I saw yeah. the improvement of the speed in the corner. I said we're onto something. So we, you know, we started designing these things. I tested them out in the canyons. Never scraped them. We came out here on the, the racetrack. We started touching them and stuff. Eric, as I'm sure you guys talked about, he's gone through a couple sets. But I mean. It's just all in your no. He wouldn't tell us. He wouldn't tell us how hardcore he is. Uh, to be <laughs> honest, he, he he was being super modest. But oh, yeah, man. he's scraping pegs, busting primaries, so he's oh, going yeah, pretty ham. No, he's he's out he's out there. You know, he's out there busting ass, dude. He's he's not fucking around on that bike, and it's yeah. a bigger bike than mine. You know, my bike's a 2001. He's a 2009. So you know, I this is just what I'm used to riding, and uh, you know, I gotta give it to him, man. He's fucking hauling ass on that thing. Yeah. You know. I didn't notice what Zach was on, but is there like a He's preference? He's on an FXDX, okay. 2004 or five, right? It's a okay. Fuel injected one, and you know, he and these are all built motors. You know, this this bike here I'm riding, bro, is all built at our shop. I mean, me and my brother Brian that own the shop, we built this motor. It's fucking, you know, it's a Dave Mackey 95. It's a Megasphere kit, and it's. If you don't know Harley stuff, that's pretty badass. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's 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 a hundred horsepower Dyna. And uh, it, it it's awesome, man. Yeah, you know? that's rad. And it's just cool. Like we've said, we've everybody's had their turn saying how cool it is to see an unconventional bike out there shredding in the corners. Right. Is there any kind like I? Is there like a low rider might not make such a good platform to base it off? Is it like Street Bob that way you want to go, or like you know one of the old bigger FXs? Yeah, you don't want you don't want the front end raked out. Yeah, you know you want you want a tighter wheelbase. Um, I actually have the Speed Merchant uh, Speed Trees. Right. But when I threw those on, I love them. Yeah. I feel like it, feel like it, it shortens the wheelbase. Yeah. It's tighter. It's, it's it's awesome. I love it. I was going to say, I couldn't tell if it was the bar out, but no. now that you mentioned that, because yeah. I noticed that it wasn't raked yeah. quite as bit. Yeah. yeah. You know, and this is a 2001 FXD single front disc. You know, it's just a super glide. And, uh, uh, you know. Yeah. These guys, you know, these bikes out here have dual dual disc, ABS, yeah. <laughs> you know, traction control, so yeah, they're not oh yeah. slipping out in the corner. I mean, it's, you know, so these bikes are set up for this shit. This doesn't, these bikes don't have the technology, you know? Yeah. But it, it's, it, that's what makes it more fun. Yeah. That's what makes it more fun. It makes fun, it more fun honest. to watch. When, when I was watching you guys pass in the corners, right. hell, even watching Chris get a little better and everybody get more comfortable on yeah. them, that was the exciting part for me. Yeah. Just like... 
dude, it's like next level and you know level up just oh, yeah. today. So that's pretty cool. No, I mean, and I know I know Chris is an experienced rider, but it's still the first time he's been on a dyna on the racetrack. Yeah. And him and the dude, the other guy Zach, uh, he. This was his first time yesterday, and they were both on the track. Today, I was watching yeah. the fucking whole ass. Yeah, you know? Chris got, got better so, and better. He started to move his body. Like, yeah, yeah. you got to ride it different. Like he said, yeah, hey, that's what it is. That's why we put these videos up on YouTube. That's why we do this to bring, to make people more comfortable and coming out and doing this. We're, in, you know, we're in the, in the in the intermediate class. Chris is in the beginner class, and that's a great class to not be scared of scared yeah, of because right, that's right i mean you're going out there with people that are learning how to ride you're the people that you know that are not experienced riders and that yeah. it makes it a little bit more dangerous but you go your own speed and you you be safe and, right. and, and, it, and it's pretty pretty awesome you know you get then you move up to the next level and start yeah. you know you but he leveled up pretty quick to the uh, to the b class or whatever because yeah he was uh, at least when he got on his Ducati, Ducati did, yeah, they yeah. probably didn't want him in that yeah. in the beginner class. They go, hey, you need yeah. to be, you know. But yeah, that's and I'm sure if he if he got some more laps on the Dyna, they would have put, pushed him up yeah. too. You know, he was get he was getting faster. He so, blew out a master. We'll talk to him it, about that. But it makes it makes more sense for us that rather than passing bikes and having you know once you start coming up to sport bikes on a Harley. Like you're starting to get congested and behind, you know, it's hard to pass these sport bikes. Then yeah. you need to move up, move up the, the yeah. next level yeah. because, you know, I mean, you get you need to get to know this 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 course. But I mean, it's uh, you know, you don't want to go up too fast, man. Yeah, you know, for sure. It, it, it's just you start going fast without knowing what you're doing, and and, and things get dangerous. Yeah, you know? for but sure. Things get dangerous when you're too fast for the slow uh, class as well. You're yeah. trying to pass these, in, you know. You know, you're out there with not experienced riders, and you're passing them, and shit happens. You know, yeah. so it's better to you just want to be wow. where you're where you're at. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so hey, man, if people so. want to check out Twenty Seven Cycles, uh, first of all, I know you guys got a pretty pretty killer Instagram. What is that? It's Twenty Seven Underscore Cycles, and then uh, we got a YouTube channel that's uh, it's Twenty Seven Cycles spelled out. Um, and we have some videos up there. We're, you know, we want. Might, I might start doing some instructional videos and stuff like that. On you know, like, and we start doing the GPS with the speedo on there, right, right. So, so people can see how fast we're going. And you know, it's it's it's. I, I hope to see more people out here on Harley's. You know, yeah, and, and just having fun. Yeah, and we we talked about it. I wasn't recording at the time, but like you know, Chris and a couple of guys started the hooligan class up again. Yeah, and you guys, you know, there's. Four of you guys, if we count yeah. Chris in on the dinos, and is uh, if it, you know, just just uh, determination and repetition. Pretty soon there may be a dyna class out here hey, just bro, hooking up. May fifth this year was the first time I ever went on a racetrack. <laughs> that was it. Rad. And then May twenty first was the second time I went on the racetrack, and that's when Eric showed up. Rad. Out of nowhere, I said, "Hey, bro, I went and got a suit. I'm fucking here. Let's go." You know. And ever Rad. since then, we've been out here at least once or twice a month. Rad. And and you know what? And we plan on keep on doing it, bro. Right. Because it's it is awesome, dude. Right. There's no oncoming cars. There's no. I mean, the, the, the dangers that you deal with. If you like adrenaline, you like going fast and hitting the corners. Whether it's on a sport bike or a Harley. Yeah. Mind you, you know, I mean, this is the place to do it. Yeah, and I mean, you guys, so, Mulholland, as you know, there's like a photographer that takes it every day, dude. That yeah, I mean, all those crashes that he gets, like shit, you yeah. know. And uh, you at know. least out here, I got a lot of friends that race vintage. 
and they quit riding because they're like the same thing. You, you never know when a minivan, you never know when a minivan's gonna or a Corvette or yeah, you, know, you never know. Turn in front of you or like texting, especially with yeah. texting. Nobody yeah. is texting absolutely yeah. out here nope. on the track. Nope. So yeah, we're, we're all just in the zone ride. Yeah, that's pretty fun. rad. Everyone's being safe. There's no close calls except for me and Eric because we're getting you know, we're <laughs> yeah. fucking with each other. You <laughs> yeah, know, but good. it's cool, man. I mean, you know, on a different track it would have been easier to pass, but this thing is like super tight and super like. It's skinny. It's not a wide track. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fun as hell, man. Yeah. I mean, and, and this guy, watching him, we're, we're learning every time we come out here. That's all we're doing is learning. We yeah. learn and we get better. We go faster. We have more fun. Watching him accelerate, you know, get better and better and better. You know, I'm not watching myself. I'm watching him get better. And we're just, it, it's, it's cool. It's fucking awesome to watch that, you know. And and I saw him level up a couple times. I mean, I not literally to the next class but yeah. get faster and faster him and chris oh, yeah. both they get you get comfortable you start doing you you, you try something yeah, it, new and all yeah. of a sudden holy shit like oh, and know, then and you don't have to worry about no. driving the same road with traffic to to learn that you just come out here and lap yeah, after lap yeah. after lap yeah. yeah that's rad and it's a great session it's 20 minutes it's more than enough time to ride yeah Hell, tired after yeah, i was gonna say I mean, you know. you're like let's do this and then when it's done yeah. you're like let's quit doing this yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know but it's, it's beer time so, you know, yeah it's i haven't been out in the canyon since man yeah i have no desire to yeah. go out there and push that that envelope you know that's because rad. it's out here bro if you know we go you go down you go off the track i've gone you know this is our first time at this track, you know, so that we're, we're not experienced with this track at all. So, I mean, it's, it's new to us as well. Next time we come out here, it's going to be, yeah. we're going to have more fun. We already know, yeah. you know, but I mean, and it's great to have more Harleys out here doing it, bro. It's right. so much fun rolling with your homies on the track and just, oh, try, I mean, it's, it's, you know, we're not racing nothing. We, 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 we say we're a race team, but we're, let's be real here. We ain't racing shit. We're just coming out yeah. to track days, but it's coming. Yeah, you know, eventually we're we're gonna be fucking racing. Yeah, you know for sure. Mean? So, right. but uh, yeah, it's 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 a good time. Man. Yeah, for and everybody sure. that's come out here and bought a suit and they have said the same exact thing. You ask Eric, you ask Zach, you ask anybody, dude. It's it's always the same thing. This is the fucking best, and it really is, bro. I, I've never been. I, it hasn't been. I, I've never done anything to beat this on two wheels. Right. You know. And, uh, yeah, Chris and I were talking about it before. You don't have to safety wire everything. You don't have to, ha you know what I mean? All the racing bullshit. You can just kind of come out no. and, and, you know. Tech is very simple, bro. They This is the first time they checked our helmets to make sure they're DOT. But, I mean, all they want you to, they want to know you got brake pressure. They want to know your throttle doesn't stick. And they want to see that there's good brake pads and, and tire tread. Yeah. And, and you go out and ride. And yeah. it's on you to take care of your machine. And... You know, shit happens. Primaries bust open. You know, bikes go <laughs> yeah. down. I mean, you, you saw it. You, you know, Rear they have to fail. Yeah. You know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I mean, stuff happens, but we're out here doing it, and it's just yeah, man, nothing's stopping us, bro. This dude's had to rebuild his motor five times. You know, just you know, the day before, he's oh, I gotta rebuild this shit, and he's you know what, he shows up the next day to fucking ride. Yeah. And we're, and we're riding around the track, so. And I, one time in the canyons, I had a little off. Luckily, it wasn't off a cliff or nothing, but I went in the dirt, and I didn't drop it. But if I had, and if I had got hurt, I would have had to call somebody with a truck to come get me. Oh, yeah. And no. if I busted something up, I would have been ha having the ambulance. You're Dude, done. all that stuff comes and gets you. It's like a concierge ser service. Yeah. You fall down, and, the, and they send a truck and a trailer to get you. And if you're, if you're not standing up, they send the ambulance out. They yeah. get everybody off the track. It's safe, bro. It's yeah. being the safe, you know. 
Pushing the limits out there is just dangerous for yourself and dangerous for other riders, dangerous for other vehicles. I mean, I've seen it all, bro. I've seen bikes go into the other. I've been in packs of bikes and seen them go off into the other the lane. Yeah. You know, just because they're going too fast in the corner and they just yeah. boom. And, and uh, you know, but I've gone off the track at 85 miles an hour. <laughs> and if you do that on a fucking canyon, you're either going off a cliff yeah. or into a rock. Yeah, yeah. So. Or into an oncoming semi or something. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I've gone off the track, and you know what? You just dirt bike it and get back on the track, dude. Yeah. That's it. You know, and I would never be able to do that out there. Yeah. And another thing is you never push it in the canyons. I never do. It's it's always 80% maybe. Yeah. You don't want to go 100%. You have no room for, there's so many obstacles, you have no room for adjustment if you're going 100%. Yeah. Out here, you can go 110. percent Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And actually push yourself to that limit, and you know your limit. I, I don't go past my limit. Yeah. That's I'm rad. out there having fun. Yeah. You know? Perfect. Well, yeah. Hey, that's your 27 cycles uh, safety lesson for the week. Yeah. <laughs> Check about online if you guys want. And then yeah. Hugh. Just kidding. Hey. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Hugh did not want to be interviewed again. What's up with that, Hugh? Uh, now let's jump over to Chris and I in the truck ride home. Audio's a little sketchy, but here's his recap of his day. <laughs> that fucking well, that was cool. Like they were all super into it. Yeah, no, I was down with that. Most people are, but sometimes it takes a little warming up to, you know. Well, those dudes, like, those are three dudes, and they got a couple buddies that are like, they're doing exactly what we did three years ago. Yeah. And they're not like, they're not really giving a shit if people come out. But they're they're gonna support people that do want to come out. Like it's exactly what we did. Like anyone that wanted to come out, even to this day, like we help them a lot. Is that that Shelby that was on the track? No, that's not. Nope. That Shelby's like a badass race though. car. That Shelby's probably in an enclosed trailer. Fucking Shelby. Yeah, I think it's rad. But they're like, yeah. So like, they're super helpful and super friendly, and they're super excited when guys come out because. They love it. Like, they're having a good time because they just thought it would be fun to take their dinas to the fucking road course. Yeah. It's like, it's so hooligan about it. I love it. Like, yeah. it's it's just not hooligan flat tracks. So what? It's hooligan road course, hooligan street bikes. Like, yeah, you know what? The crazy thing, too, is that to hear, especially Tony, talk about, like, the fact that... Uh, He's like, dude, you, you don't have to worry about traffic here. You don't, you know, you to hear somebody like that talk about that sort yeah. of stuff. Like all my racer friends say that, and it's like, well, that's because you like racing. But then to hear him say it and say, you know, it's not worth. Like you can really push it 110, where on the streets you can really only give it like you know 80 percent, and you yeah. really don't know what you can do. Like you on your Dyna today, like I'm sure you did some stuff you would never have tried out in the street. Yeah, and just like the speed and how fast you're running into a corner, like it was really, you're able to kind of push your limits, but you don't feel like you're gonna die. Like, I might crash and have a really big repair bill, but I'm not gonna die. Where, if you do that at Angeles Crest or Tega or our other secret spot, like, <laughs> you might just die. I mean, how many of those roads, like, cars don't stay in their own lane? Shit, some of them don't even have a center line down them. Yeah. For oncoming traffic. And it's like, or you got big rocks in the middle of the street in the road. Like, yeah. 
there's so many other obstacles and you've got to dial it down 70 or 80%. I mean, you can have fun, but you can't really push your limits. Yeah. Where here, like you, I was able to push it on both bikes. Yeah. So not to get ahead of ourselves, but uh, Chris and I are on the road back from uh, Willow, Willow, the streets of Willow, but it's a Willow Springs Raceway, the fastest road in the West. They have this awesome course called the Streets. Chris gave it a rip until his Dyna gave up, and then uh, also hucked it around on the Ducati a little bit. And I think this is your first time taking the either of those bikes to a track. I've, so I've been on a road course before, but it's been five or six years. So it was my first time on both of, on either one of those bikes. So, and definitely my first time with a big Harley on the track. Yeah. So the 27 Cycles guys, uh, what they've done is they started going around and carving the canyons, getting it on YouTube, getting it on Instagram, and uh, getting people interested. So Chris saw that. He hit me up last night and was like, hey, do you want to get up at 5 a.m. and go to Willow? And I was like, hmm, yeah, I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we've both been up, I think, since 4.15. I got up at 4.15. What time did you get up? Uh, 4.30. Oh, okay. I had, to, I had to drive the five minutes to his house, so it took me uh, 15 extra minutes. But yeah, we just spent all day out there. Chris is a champ, dude. I, I'm like, I've almost felt, oh, I did fall asleep once and I started to fall asleep again and I didn't even ride today. Chris is just like uh, riding on adrenaline right now. But, um, but yeah, I'm gonna let him take over and just talk about riding the uh, big ass Dyna on a road course. And then he can talk about riding a Ducati too. So, uh, yeah. So first off, uh, I don't know. Taking a Dyna on a road course, did you ever think you'd do it? I never thought I would. Like, I, I don't think it ever crossed my mind to do it. I did debate like taking a Goldwing once, but I was told by the organizers, no way. It's too big and too heavy. But that was 15 years ago, and I feel like now the Dyna. Like, everyone wants to be innovative, everyone wants to change. So the Dyna on the track, like, these guys, they, I think they basically called a bunch of different, like, people who rent tracks for track days, and was like, hey, we have our Dynas we take to the canyons, and we want to take them on a track, will you let us? And finally, track experience was like, yeah, we're cool with that, we'll let you. So, they were going out, and I was like, I kind of had plans to take the Ducati out anyway, like, it's been a while, and I'm like, oh, I want to do that. And then I thought, well, why not just take both bikes, take the Dyna and have a few laps too. Rad. And um, from an outside point of view, I watched you go. I watched you get more and more uh, comfortable with the Ducati. I'm and you Dyna. actually started getting faster and faster. And I was noting and taking pictures and then noting where you were passing people coming into corners and stuff like that. So in the group that you were in, there uh, was actually, you know, some really good riders, but you just got so comfortable on that thing, you ended up, you know, in the end there, kind of hucking it past a few of them, and it was rad watching you drag race a bunch of dudes up the hill on your Dyna, and then take them in the corner, the first corner, that was pretty rad. It was, and it's like, I was surprised how well the Dyna kept up on the straightaways. Like, I thought we would just get spanked on the straights, but we really didn't, and even corners, like, I thought, okay, like, I know there's gonna be some slow guys, but I'm like, the guys that are decent are gonna kill us in the corners because the bikes are so much lighter and they really weren't able to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, some of the racers, but, you know, in, the, in our respective classes, and I did, it was my first time, like I said, on the track in five or six years, so I did the, the group one class, like the slow class, so 
but there was probably two or three people that were faster than me. So it was good. I like I felt like I kind of got like set in and got pretty well right back to where I was, if not a little faster. Like I don't remember being that comfortable and that fast on my old RC or my CBR. That's crazy. And and definitely you started changing it up and didn't try the same lines every time and your body English changed and I don't know man was it uh, obviously you took the Dyna out and uh, I don't think we mentioned so far it had a brake uh, rear brake went away on it uh, the master cylinder started leaking so you got black flag <laughs> yeah I got black flag I was like the first one out and they black flagged me and I was like oh man what did I do and then they're like oh you're just leaking some oil and I didn't know that I was leaking. I was like, oh, I just overfilled it because I had just filled it up. So I went and wiped it off and went back out for the session. And the brakes went away again. And I was just like oil on the tire and the wheel. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really need to ride with that. So I decided to, to park the Dyna. I guess I could have drained the rear brake because you don't really use it. But I was like, if I needed it and didn't have it, it'd be kind of bummed. So I switched it up and I, I have to say like, the first session I went on the Dyna, like, I wasn't super excited. Like, I had my butt off the seat and my leg out, but I was still just dragging foot peg every corner. I got the exhaust in the ground a little bit. And then towards the end, I, like, dipped my shoulders real low, and it felt really good. Like, I could tell the bike was stood up, but my weight was down. So the second session, I was able to, like, hang off the bike, throw my shoulders down, even get my knee down a little bit, which I felt like was super weird on a Dyna but it worked like it wasn't trying to get your knee down but just the way you kind of hang off the bike and where the foot pegs are you kind of have to so i definitely the second session i felt a lot better on the dyna and i was pretty excited about riding it and getting back out there on it rad yeah and uh you know except for the fact that the rear brake went away yeah you were getting better you were getting faster even i said hey man like on the front tucked down because you were you were up and even that like you're you started just blowing everything a little bit faster and it was pretty rad it was rad watching you out there on it and it was rad watching all four of you guys clobber the hell out of it out there so that was pretty cool uh now let's transition over the to the ducati when you had to transition over to the ducati was it rough going from those like high t-bars and and all that down to that bike where you basically you're hugging a tank uh, I think I've had enough seat time on the Ducati lately. It wasn't bad, but it was definitely like, it was a transition and the speed of the bike was a transition and how you're sitting on the bike. But I just, um, I always take every session I go out, I do an easy lap because I don't have tire warmers. So I like to go out, do an easy lap, get some heat in the tires and get some like heat in my body, like get my body kind of loosened up again and back to being on the bike and then kind of build trust in my tires again. So I went out and instead of doing like one slow lap, I did like one and I slowly built into it and got more and more comfortable. So it wasn't, it would have been different if I just tried to go out and just hammer first lap, but just going out and like taking it easy and getting used to moving around on the bike definitely helped me out, like kind of playing it smart. Yeah, yeah, that's rad. And, and obviously not, uh, not going faster than, or not pushing the limits you know more than than what you're comfortable with you know definitely paid off as, as everybody said you know it, it's better to crash on a track than on the street anyway but yeah good I'm, I'm glad you guys had a lot of fun and like didn't eat shit and all that so it, it was just fun watching too and uh for the first time i went all over every single uh basically vantage point i think you could have been on on that track and that was that was pretty rad 
no, yeah, it was good watching you guys out there taking advantage, and uh, it was rad watching you rip on a dyna doing something that's just as hooligan as flat tracking a big old heavy bike is getting one out there and uh, ripping it on a track. So that's pretty rad. Any, any final, any closing thoughts? Will you do this again? Uh, I definitely want to do it again, and I think it's gonna grow. Like there were four of us today. Um, and those guys definitely like they're definitely the innovators that like took the Dyna to the track but or the full-size Harley it doesn't even have to be a Dyna but I think like it will grow like people will see it like people want you know guys want to do like the wheelie guys and stuff like that they want to go shred and they want to go push themselves like I think that's kind of inherent of a most a lot of motorcycles like motorcyclists like you want to push yourself like you want to find your limits and your bike is limits and you want to like it makes you safer on the street and a lot of us I think like you get this like pent-up energy and you go hit the street and you ride kind of carelessly and kind of through traffic and hit the canyon a little too hard and the track really helps like calm you down and like find your muse and like get that adrenaline rush that you want and then when you go hit the street you're just like cruising having a good time like not pushing it too much you know so I definitely think it's good I want to try it again I love how it's totally hooligan because these guys are like, they're doing something that people don't think should be done. And they're proving that not only can it be done, like it can be done pretty well. You know, like two of the guys were running in the B group today, the, the second class, the intermediate guys. So, um, and honestly, the other two of us that were running in the class one, like we were two of the probably top five guys in that class. So it can be done, and even if you're not, you know, even if you're one of the slower guys, if you're out there on a track doing it, like, people are gonna respect that. Um, and I feel like the other riders and the people that are putting on the track day were being, like, they were super accepted of it. Um, they love seeing it, they know it's different. I even had a guy that ran, like, a Yamaha rental thing, and he told me, he's like, dude, it's the future, like, people are gonna wanna do this. So it's definitely interesting, and it'll be really cool to see, like, where it goes in the next couple years. Right, and I mentioned to them, and, and I know that you feel the same way, that Hooligan Flat Track started out that same way. You guys showed up, you guys just started doing it at a, you know, at a, brought your sportsters out to a place where you were racing Flat Track and said, hey, can we do it? And then from then on, like, you know, it kind of started to grow and grow, and now it's at the X Games. Yeah. So Dinah's at the track, uh, you know, it's as easy as there was four of them today and that there was an old man out there on a sportster roadster and i bet he thought he was the wacky shit until <laughs> four other dinas rolled up so yeah it's interesting so yeah i think it's it, it is very similar to the hooligan flat track uh beginnings i feel like this dyna thing might be uh you know just just starting so i guess we'll have to pay attention and keep our eyes on it over the next couple of years and see what develops yeah I think it'll be good. We'll we'll keep an eye out. We'll keep in touch with these guys. We'll keep going to the track, and we'll see what happens with it. All right. Well, that's our race report. Uh, I have to say thanks to Chris for providing transportation and food today. That was pretty rad. And uh, racing entertainment. And, yeah, man, it's a blast. If you – any bike you have, just get out there and give it the beans, man. You don't uh, – you'll learn something, that's for sure. You don't have to be out there to win the race because there's not really a trophy but you'll definitely push the limits and do stuff you never thought you could do, maybe on a bike you never thought you could do. So Rich from Loud Pipes, if you're listening, <laughs> which I know you are, get out there, 
<laughs> Get that deuce on a track, my man. I think the motorcycles and misfits are going to agree with this. They love their track days. Yeah, absolutely. They always talk about how much they learn. Oh, that was an unfortunate car accident. Wow, that was a big one. They, uh, they always talk about how much they get out of those track days. Like, you're definitely not winning a trophy, so just use it to push your your yeah. knowledge to the limit and your skills and learn something Maybe new. we can meet up with them at Button Willow. That would be rad. Guys, if you're listening, which I know you are, bring your dinas to Button Willow. <laughs> <laughs> I think something that should be noted is like, there's four pavement tracks. Like if you've ever wanted to do it, there's so many bikes you can take that are super track capable. Like Ninja 250s and Ninja 300s are very, very competitive because it teaches you so much corner speed where the straightaway is not important. So, you know, if you're out there in listener land and you're like, oh, I don't have a 600, I got this little starter bike Ninja 250. Well, when you like either A, take it to the track or if you want to upgrade to a 600, don't get rid of your Ninja 250. Like, take it to the track. You'll have a lot of fun. Like, there was a guy out there on an SV650 and he wasn't very fast and he was telling me how his Jitser was in the shop and I'm like, you're probably better off on your SV650 than you are on a Jixxer 600 right now. Like, you're beginning, you're not, you know, I watched him ride a little bit. I'm like, you are better off on that slower bike. You are learning more and you're riding more to your abilities, I promise, than you would be with a Jixxer. All right, guys. So that's our uh, Willow Springs race report. Talk to you later. Bye. Alright, alright, so that was our race day from Willow Springs. Thanks, Chris, again for providing a ride, food, hell, all the entertainment, basically. Um, I almost went for a ride myself, uh, holding on to the people next to us. I didn't get your guys' names, but uh, I think the dude was ripping around on an old Bandit 1200, uh, you know, naked. And basically, the winds, you guys remember last year we were there at the big uh, track with our friends um, at the racing, you know, vintage racing. And I was describing how crazy the winds were there that night, almost blowing everybody's tents around. And so it was the same day, same deal uh, over the weekend, calm in the morning, but in the afternoon, man, the winds really pick up out there in the high desert and they're uh, easy up, like basically folded in half. And I don't know where everybody was. It was kind of the end of the day. So everybody was like probably off looking at pictures and watching the last group uh, do their session. And the wind got so bad, they're easy up, almost uh, smashed the the uh, window out of their truck. And then so I grabbed it and to keep it from like flipping over and the whole side just caved in and it was like almost smashed the bike. So I had to like dance around with it by myself and fold it down. Uh, and then when they got back, they're like, where the fuck's our easy up? And I was like, Ooh, I have folded it down for you. Um, so yeah, crazy times out there. Good times. It was really good hanging with the dudes from 27 cycles, Jiffy tune, and then Zach, the crazy pilot and Chris from Speed Merchant, uh, the four Dyna dudes out there. Uh, Chris, let's. Um, Chris is gonna remotely do his Instagram shout out, and then I'll do mine, and and we can call this baby uh, episode ninety two. Close it. Close the door on this thing. Close. Close this in the books. Close it under a rock. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll think of a good saying. But in the meantime, take it away, Chris. All right. So I found my Instagram shout out or pick of the week, I think. So there's a lot of good stuff out there on the interwebs. And um, 
know, there's a lot of people that are out riding all the time or thinking that they're riding all the time or whatever, and uh, you want to get jealous. So I found someone to actually get jealous of. But if you get jealous of him, he'll get upset because I know him. So if you're uh, if you want to see what the life of a motorcycle magazine writer and uh, photographer and editor is, check out Ed Subius. He's the man behind all the hooligan hot bike stuff. Um, he's always out testing and riding and shredding the latest, newest, greatest bikes, and um, it's just amazing. So Ed Subius, he's also an all-around awesome dude, just like great happy because he gets to ride his motorcycle all the time i think but so that'll be my pick of the week check out ed and um give him a like on him sliding the new soft tail low rider around in the dirt because that's the kind of shit that ed does that we all wish we could do or we should do or we do do um ed definitely does it so that's my pick of the week thanks he said doo-doo. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris, for checking in there. Hey, he's going to be on the way to Santa Maria tonight. Uh, tomorrow is, of course, the hooligan shootout. And, uh, man, it is. We've been pumping it forever. And Chris's event going down. If, if you if you need to, go to SoCal underscore hooligans on Instagram and check out all the stuff, all the crazy cool merch that uh, is going to be given away to racers out there. I hope the classes have filled up. I'm sorry that I'm not going with them, but, you know, hashtag soccer, that soccer life, yo. You know, once you have kids, um, I made a promise to my wife, family first. And uh, so, man, I'm going to be missing out on my own co-host event. I can't believe what a chump I feel like. But, hey, uh, my Instagram shout out this week is I spun the wheel. I just do them at random. It's going to be the Cafe Racer podcast. I don't have my notes to see if I have talked about them before, but I'm sure that I have not. Uh, I mentioned them at the beginning of this episode, of course, because Steve is the emergency operations manager for his county down in Florida, and Crash is a Navy dude. They hooked up. I've been listening to their podcast for a long, long time, um, and they're at or at least crashes at AIM right now, uh, AIM happening. So if you want to see what's going down at AIM, check out the Wheel Nerds or check out Cleveland Motos there right now. And uh, so is Cafe Racer Podcast. They're the ones that actually uh, got me rolling to start this one, um, not not because they're the first podcast I ever listened to. Heck, that was like the uh, side stands up with Tom Loudermilk like 100,000 years ago when podcasting was like barely a thing. Um but they're the reason uh, that I learned how to do like the production side, I guess is what I should say. So thanks, Cafe Racer Podcast. Uh, you're my shout out for this week. Um, also, we'd like to give a shout out to the Throttled Podcast and Loud Pipes, who both celebrated their 100th anniversary. Motorcycle men are like on 110, so they're well into uh, the 100 Club. Motorcycles and Misfits and Cleveland Moto are like at 500 something a piece, or you know, somewhere around there. They're they're a lot, so. Uh, I guess me and Loud Pipes and Throttled probably started close to the same time because I would already be on episode 100 if I didn't do just one show a month for the first three or four months that I did it. Um, I didn't really get on the weekly thing until after I had like jumped in, got my feet wet, made sure I could do it and then paid for it. I mean, this thing doesn't pay for itself. Uh, so yeah, it had to like buy host. He figured out what I needed to buy to get it to be a weekly thing. So, uh, I'm reaching a hundred, uh, glad I have Chris here to do it with me and we're also approaching two years old. So that's pretty awesome. And don't forget spooky spokes coming up. We only have 
one or two submissions, dudes, and it's like drawing close. We ha- have like three or four weeks left to do this. So send in your submissions, please. Go do something scary. Uh, send me a scary story from when you were younger and you used to get scared by stuff, you know, before you had a motorcycle and you were all tough and badass. And uh, yeah, please send that in. Creative writing podcast at gmail.com. Also, leave us a review. iTunes, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, Podbean, Podcruncher, Smash Caster, uh, Butt Jammer, all the places where you can get podcasts and uh, check out some other good ones. I, I mentioned them all already. So, peace. Hope you have a good weekend. And uh, yeah, next week ought to be awesome. Because I'll be dead. You didn't see it when that lady came over, huh? I did, dude. Did she, you catch it? Did you catch it? I didn't get the audio. Dude, she's like, you fucking flew past me. <laughs> and I don't see how you do it. She's like, do you ride these professionally? I'm like, lady, I've never ridden one of those in my life. Balls are too big. <laughs> I don't know where to put them, left or right. <laughs> <laughs>